The Ability Co-op is one of the largest student activism groups in the country, promoting awareness and advocating for policy changes to make Trinity Campus an inclusive environment for students with disabilities. Despite only being established in the summer of 2020, we've already secured thousands in funding to support our projects, which include a short film we're producing, this very podcast you're listening to, a training programme we'll be introducing across the country and potentially internationally, and so much more. We're always looking for people to help out wherever they can, whether it be graphic design, social media management, videography, writing, and so much more. So if you're interested in getting involved, reach out to us. You'll find links to all our socials in the show notes below, or you can find us by simply searching for the Ability Co-op. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Ability Co-op podcast. This week we are celebrating International Women's Week. This year's theme is based around Time to Challenge, and with this team in mind, today we are going to discuss the stigma surrounding those female or females aligned who live with an invisible disability. 8% of the global female population lives with an invisible dis- disability, whether it be a significant ongoing illness, mental disorder, or a specific learning condition. These women often face struggles as they usually have to mask up and conform to societal expectations. Also, the Ability Co-op are very fortunate that we are joined by four guest speakers, Jani, Sarah, Carla and Claudia, who are willing to share their experiences with living with invisible disabilities to start a conversation on this very important topic that is often overlooked and mis- mis- often overlooked and misunderstood. So I'm going to introduce you to our speakers now. I'm Jani. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I'm studying biological and biomedical science here in Trinity. Um, my disability is uh, quite long-winded. Um, I have reduced air entry in my lung, which is caused by blistering, uh, and it causes pneumothoraxes, which are lung collapses, and I've had a few surgeries now for it. Um, My disability impacts my daily life um, because I have general breathing difficulties, and I often have to be careful not to exert myself too much. Hi, I'm Claudia. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. And I'm in my first year at Trinity studying sociology and social policy. Uh, I have uh, clinical depression and anxiety disorder. uh, And these impact my daily life in a number of ways, some days more than others. But often it can be to do with fatigue, uh, low mood uh, and lack of motivation and difficulty doing um, tasks such as getting out of the house, getting out of bed and completing academic work. Hi, I'm Carla. My pronouns are she, her. I'm in first year human nutrition and dietetics. I have both type 1 diabetes and hydrocephalus. So my type 1 diabetes is helped greatly because I have an insulin pump and a blood glucose sensor. Um, I'm really lucky to have these because it makes my life so much easier and I only have to change my pump every three days as opposed to taking about five injections a day and as I said I also have hydrocephalus so since 2017 I have suffered with constant daily headache so I haven't even had a natural pain-free minute even after some surgeries and medications and so it can be really difficult to carry out like daily tasks but I'm quite good at pushing myself to to kind of be like normal people. Hello, my name is Sarah. My pronouns are she, her. I am currently 
on the Trinity Access Programme. I'm doing Stream A, so I'm hoping to study in the area of science next year. And my disability is attention deficit disorder. So there are various different types of ADHD, but specifically I have inattentive ADD. And for me, it manifests as processing information, perceiving information um, in a very different way. I could list symptoms, but I think the best way I can kind of illustrate how my disability impacts my everyday life to people who don't have ADD is I actually read this in a Dr. Gabor Mate book and it explained it so beautifully. So um, if you imagine you're in a room on your own watching TV and there's one TV on and you're watching your favorite show. ADD for me is like having 30 TVs on at once. So it actually becomes very difficult to concentrate on one screen and to follow one story and to drown out the others. Um, hi guys, my name is Jay. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a final year best student specialising in business. Um, my disability is di developmental coordination disorder, also known as dy dyspraxia. And how does my disability affect my daily life? Um, so basically, it's a, DCD is a common condition which primarily affects motor coordination and how messages are transmitted and interpreted in the brain. I can find the smallest mundane tasks difficult, for example, problems with organisation for college. Um, so I'm going to start off with a few questions for you guys. So um, when you came to college first, what difficulties did you encounter with your first social interactions? Um, well, I'm a first year student uh, this year and because of COVID, my social interactions have been pretty limited. So I've always tried to make a good first impression. Um, I noticed that my only interactions actually have been lab classes and when walking up the stairs to the lab, I'm always trying to hide that I'm actually quite breathless just to make a good impression. And I'm always not wanting to draw attention to my disability. I think for me, uh, obviously as a first year as well, um, I've experienced some difficulties in just um, communication with um, new people, especially um, lecturers and new students online. Um, that's difficult for anyone, but I think especially when sometimes you don't have that much motivation to maybe get involved in society events or be on Zooms all the time, it can be quite difficult if I'm sleeping in the day, which happens quite regularly, to get involved in things like that. And as well, um, I early on in college had to apply for a extension for a piece of work because I was having um, quite a difficult relapse time and it's quite difficult communicating um, your mental health and the problems that it affects in your day-to-day -day life when you've never met someone in person and it's just through an email so I think it's been particularly difficult in the current circumstances without being able to develop that connection um, in person with people. For me, like obviously, because I'm a first year as well, I haven't had too many social interactions this year. But for me, I always find it hard to know when do I tell people. So like in primary school, you're kind of known as, as the kid with something else and teachers are aware of it. But it's like it's important, especially with my diabetes, that people know I do have it. Because if I'm having severe hyperglycemia, it can look like you're just dizzy or even drunk. 
and it's important that people know so that they can help. And for me as well, the one part that actually isn't invisible are my pump and sensor. So often, so I wish they were invisible, but it can be handy to have them because people can ask questions and it's a good time to, to introduce it without being it being the first thing that you introduce about yourself. Yeah, I think this is a universal experience for anyone with an invisible disability to experience, but it's particularly relevant when starting college or meeting new people in general. Um, you know, with invisible disabilities, the onus is on you to actively offer up this information to people. And there's a challenge there, you know, to figure out when to share, how to share, why you're sharing. Um, you know, I think, like Carla said, I think it's in order to access support socially and formally in the college environment, you kind of should share what's going on with you. But the other side of that coin is that, you know, I don't want to tell people too early because I don't want them to think, oh, that's Sarah with ADD. You know, I, I just want to be Sarah first. But that creates a struggle as well, because as time goes on and you form stronger bonds with people, then it transforms into, well, if I don't tell them soon, it's almost like I'm keeping a secret, which is just a bizarre situation to kind of transpire. Um, and I don't really have the answers. You know, I'm still struggling my way through that. Um, so this idea of addressing something so personal about yourself with new friends. Um, yeah, it's an interesting experience. Cool. So how has COVID-19 and the multiple lockdowns affected your disability? So I think there's been a lot of focus um, on mental health during the coronavirus, um, which I think is a really good thing because it's great to have awareness of things um, that can affect you um, just as much and have physical symptoms as well um, as a physical um, illness. But I think as much as it's great that people have been talking about mental health, I think there's been a kind of blurred lines between the distinction between mental health and mental disability and mental illness. And a lot of people have been experiencing episodes of low mood and anxiety, which is horrible and totally valid. Um, but I think I've experienced kind of some lack of understanding of what it's like to have a chronic mental illness and live with those symptoms every day. Uh, so I think I'm really proud of the fact that people are talking about their mental health more. Um, but I think there needs to be a kind of more of a distinction made between both mental health and mental illness. And that's in no way um, invalidating people's experiences of having mental episodes. Um, but it's just made me at least more aware of making people more aware of what it's like to have a mental illness and what it's like to have a chronic illness, as opposed to having episodes um, of low mood and illness, which as much as they're awful and need to be recognized and supported, is quite a different experience. Um, obviously my condition is really different, but for me, it's kind of been, a bit of a positive. I think there's a lot of negatives with COVID, but for me, the, the fact that I don't have to commute at the moment is just great. Like when I was in secondary school, I actually ended up changing schools because the bus journey was about 30 minutes and it was just really, really hard. 
when you kind of got your pounding headache or if my blood sugars weren't right to be sitting on a bus with my friends and everyone's kind of chirping and chatting away there's lots of noise and that's always quite hard so I moved schools because of that and with COVID now it's been really handy not to have to kind of go through the commuting and I can kind of just roll out of bed if I'm having a bad day so it's kind of a positive spin on everything. Um, well my condition actually has um, sort of mental triggers um, although it's a physical condition and I think that COVID-19 and the lockdowns um, like Claudia said like they did cause people to feel stressed and, and anxious and um, feeling stressed especially over my leaving cert which I was trying to do at the time uh, I think was de definitely resulted in a relapse the relapse of my condition um, I had a surgery the year before and I relapsed and it was quite isolating because we were in lockdown and I didn't have the physical support of my friends around me and not only that but I think you know, the doctor-patient interaction was quite limited and brief in hospital um, because they wanted to limit that face-to-face -face interaction. So, I mean, it was isolating in that regard too. But uh, it has been tough. But I think, uh, Carla, what she said about um, not having to travel, I think is something that I've uh, been enjoying because, uh, you know, when I have bad days, I have college online and, and it is a handy alternative for me. So it hasn't all been bad. Um, so, um, how, ha how have you struggled to access adequate supports for your disability, both at work and in education? What challenges have you faced? So, um, for me, you know, the disability service in Trinity has just been nothing but amazing. And the support from the access programme as well. Um, you know, you just feel like there's people in college that understand you, which is a great feeling. Um, but in relation to ADD, um, it's actually very difficult to access treatment in Ireland. Um, the statistics are that if you are male with ADD, you are four times more likely to be diagnosed. So typically when, you know, when we think of ADD, we immediately think of, you know, a young man who is hyperactive and that generalization um, is outdated. So in terms of accessing the treatment in Ireland, there's there's zero HSE funded support for ADD. Um, there's only two people in Ireland at the moment who can diagnose ADD. Um, so a lot of people tend to go to the north for treatment. So basically what that means is, in my experience, in order to access treatment, you have to either see one of two private specialists. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of euros. So the treatment isn't accessible in general and navigating that, I suppose, is a challenge in itself. Um, yeah, definitely. I think for me, the biggest challenge was accepting that I was living with DCD for the rest of my life. Um, in secondary school, I was often in denial and sometimes didn't want to take the sports offered to me, such as a laptop or extra learning support, as I felt I didn't need it, as I was doing just as well as my peers in school without these said sports. However, for me, when I did like my leaving cert, I got really stressed out and didn't come close to the points I needed for my course. I think then that was like the kick off the bomb I needed to go off and accept my DCD for what it is. So when I came to Trinity, it was a fresh start for me and meeting like-minded people with disabilities encouraged me to open up about my experiences and most importantly about the supports that I needed. I find the disability service in Trinity great. I was always kind of nervous to approach them as I'd usually found teachers in school rather patronising towards me and my DCD. 
However, with the Training Disability Service, they've been really supportive and have often checked in on me since I started college in 2017 to make sure the supports I re receive are adequate, such as a small exam venue in college and the use of a laptop if I needed one. <clears throat> Um, concerning work, I've told some employers that I have DCD, but often I'm not really sure how to go about it as I don't want them to see me as like a nuisance. So often employers and educators get DCD mixed up with dyslexia, which is really frustrating for me because obviously um, dyslexia is a different condition and that requires like different kind of supports. So I am a bit nervous as an impending graduate going out to the world of work soon. However, if I've learned anything from my experience over the last few years, that it's vital to that you do tell your employer that that you do have a disability and that they shouldn't discriminate discriminate whether you have a disability or not so for like the next question so have you faced much stigma with your disabilities especially since it's not obvious at first sight for me it's certainly something that i've sometimes it's not the first reaction that matters it's how people treat you afterwards so for me, as someone with um, mental illness, people often sort of say, oh, I feel really sorry for you and it gets better. And that's all very nice sentiment, but often it's like not really what I really need. And it's not really the kind of support that I need. I, I think especially as um, a woman, people often look at women as emotional and kind of can overreact to things and I think when you first tell people you have anxiety in particular as well as depression people will look at you as if you're kind of just kind of being dramatic especially in a school situation where you're facing exams and you're often around other people feeling stressed as well same at university people kind of look at you and think you're kind of just being a sort of girl that's getting overexcited and doesn't know how to manage her emotions very well whereas actually this is much more of a kind of chronic thing that's going around in my head all the time um, and I think people sometimes struggle with depression as well to treat you differently they just think you're kind of one of those people that has always got a kind of pessimistic or low out like outlook on life and I've had a few people say, oh, well, I wouldn't want to be friends with someone with depression because they're just so negative and, you know, they don't really want to have that kind of person around in their friendship group as it create a bad atmosphere. And um, that's obviously a complete misconception. But like my depression is not my whole personality. It is just a part of my life and it's something that I've learned how to manage. But I think people don't really understand. They don't know how to disassociate personality and mental illness and they think it comes together as a package. I can definitely relate to what you're saying about people thinking you're just dramatic so everyone gets headaches so everyone kind of can imagine what it's like but for most people their headaches last a few hours and it's really hard to imagine that I've had a constant headache for nearly nearly four years now um, so I know a lot of people because I kind of seem quote unquote normal because I'm like I push myself to live live my life to the fullest they they kind of think I'm just being dramatic as well because everyone gets headaches and they can you know do every everyday tasks so that's quite difficult um, and I know people can get quite impatient when I'm not in 
in good form because of my headaches and because they can't see that there's anything wrong it is of course hard for people to understand and feel sympathetic towards you and then with my type 1 diabetes I'm used to the comments like oh did you eat too many sweets or but you're not that fat <laughs> and often like kids will look at my pump or my sensor and ask like are you a robot and like these are quite like demoralizing sentences to hear but I definitely am glad that I'm quite open to talk about things and I'm happy to sit down and explain to people what they are and I'm I'm really lucky to kind of have that outlook I think it makes it a lot easier to deal with the kind of stigmas around my illnesses. Yeah, I've also got similar passing comments, Carla. Um, the comments that I've got are, uh, you know, you're so lucky to have extra time in exams or you're so lucky to be eligible for DARE. You look fine, you know, you look healthy. And I think the irony of it is that I'm not lucky because I have an illness and they, people don't really realise that. Uh, one time I actually... I lifted up my shirt just to show them scars from surgery and they were all blown away like because they just forget that I actually have um, a disability and yeah it can be a bit um, demoralizing that like you don't have support and though I do have support it's just acquaintances say these things without getting to know you because it's a, a, an invisible disability and they can't see it um, and also another comment I would get would be you know are you better now you know you had that blip uh, in your health and are you better and it's like it's it's not a temporary injury it's it's a chronic condition and I'll, I'll always have it and even though I don't look sick now um it's something I deal with daily um so yeah I have faced stigma but uh, I'm lucky to be surrounded by such amazing friends and, and family who actually do care about me and they ask me how I am, yeah. Um, girls with behavioural disorders often do not possess the stereotypical behaviours of being loud and disruptive due to a female's great ability to employ the, the same or similar social mass as neurodivergent people. How has this affected you? Yeah, so in terms of social masks, um, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but for me, with my disability, as a female over the years, I have definitely developed a kind of coping mechanism of kind of, you know, an apologetic humour, um, maybe to possibly distract people because you ultimately don't want to stand out because of your disability. And you're constantly trying to fight against that. And you do feel as well like you're, you're constantly trying to prove yourself and to keep up with those social expectations that are placed on all women really. Yeah I, I have to agree with you there Sarah I think like with me I've employed many coping mechanisms to help me cope like have being like the clumsy or like being kind of like the head in the clouds kind of friend but like yeah, I suppose it has affected me greatly, especially since I got like a relatively late diagnosis as I was 14 going on 15. I was only one out of them. And when it came to diagnosis, um, my diagnosis, only one out of the many teachers I had in second year spotted that there may be an issue. Most of them thought I was not focused and lazy as I did not seem to work hard. I remember like my report card coming in after Christmas in second year and my parents were so angry at me because I think like, out of like the 10 or 11 teachers I had at the time I think like eight of them had said she's not Jane is not focused and I'm being really upset about that because I felt like 
I was really working really hard on the inside and I was actually in reality I was actually burnt out from conforming to these expectations so um I decided pretty early on when I was a teenager when I got my diagnosis that I would keep it a well-conceived secret whether that was well-conceived or not I don't really know but um as I didn't want my classmates in school to like perceive me any differently with the diagnosis so I usually just mimicked their normal behaviors well normal inverted comma behaviors which often led left me extremely fatigued at the end of the school day wanting just to go to bed at the minute I got in the door at home so what I let people know now that I have DCD I still sometimes like what you said um, find myself conforming to societal expectations as that is what I've used to I did that for from five, 14 up until 19 so I did that for five years so it's very hard to like erase those habits and I sometimes like find it so hard to say no to people when I want to go to social events like I'm a very sociable person but at the same time I do like a break every now and again so yeah definitely um so have you ever faced much stigma in accessing adequate treatment due to due to being female yeah well I talked about uh stigma earlier and I think that I've faced a lot of prejudice uh especially going into A&E because you're you're meaning doctors that don't know you. Um, and I can recall a story from last year during the pandemic. Uh, this is just when I relapsed and I went into COVID A&E. So it was quite a terrifying time. I was very anxious. I thought I had COVID actually. Uh, I didn't know why I had so much pain in my chest because um, I didn't know it was a relapse. And I presented myself with terrible pain. And the doctor asked me, how would I rate my pain? And I gave it an eight an eight out of 10. And I would never have given pain an eight ever. But this was so excruciating that I did. I gave it an eight. Maybe I, I could have even given it a nine. And the doctor said, uh, an eight? Really? Is it that bad? Uh, and again, I actually think I was crying through my mask. I just couldn't believe that, you know, I was being invalidated by a medical professional. And I, I said, uh, standing up for myself uh, have you seen the x-ray because I knew there was something on that x-ray and he said no we hadn't seen the x-ray and then when he returned uh, he said yes you have a pneumothorax uh, and you this is a collapsed lung uh, and uh, this must be quite painful here we'll give you these steroids we'll give you these anti-inflammatories and these drugs and it, it, there was no apology and I think it's just I was treated as guilty until proven innocent by my x-ray and I don't think that's how you should be treated and I put it down to me being a young girl and I think that there's this prejudice that if you're and you're young you're you're looking for attention you know and you're emotional you're being overdramatic like he thought I overestimated the pain <laughs> so yeah stigma and definitely prejudice uh, in my treatment so it's uh, yeah it's no it's definitely something I think would be unique to girls and had I been maybe a middle-aged man the experience would have been different yeah, I can definitely definitely relate to you, Danny. There, were you saying about kind of being branded as an emotional female? So often, I feel like I'm not taken seriously in my doctor's appointments, and I'm always kind of in this constant battle of proving myself, both to myself and to my doctors. So for myself, I'm the whole time I'm trying to live a normal life as full as I can, 
And my doctors see that and see, oh, you're attending school perfectly. Oh, you do exercise. You're still socializing. You have to be fine. You're probably just being dramatic. And it's kind of hard because I need to get that fine balance of trying to live a normal life and pushing through the pain, but also showing to my doctors that I'm not just an emotional female. And another thing I often get told a lot with the same doctors that, you know, have done operations on me and they've seen my scans and they can, they know I'm in pain, but they always come out with comments like, oh, I've seen lots of teenage girls like you, like teenage girls often get headaches for different reasons. Like, is it, is it related to your period by any chance? And like, I was talking to my mom last night about the, the podcast and kind of going over the questions. And like, we both agreed that like, if you were a, even a boy my age or like older that we just felt like these comments wouldn't be passed and you know it's really hard that kind of battle with the medical teams of kind of making your voice heard yeah I mean even though my um disability isn't physical I can definitely relate to um like medical professionals not really understanding your pain and your suffering I think because they feel you're an emotional sort of slightly hysterical woman um particularly in the case of getting diagnosed with anxiety I, I actually found it easier to get diagnosed with depression because it's a less char characteristically female um mental illness whereas anxiety is something that I think people often associate that with teenage girls getting stressed about exams and um and the school environment in particular um so I think people don't can't necessarily differentiate between normal levels of stress and sort of abnormal chronic stress and distress in my case as well I think people find it hard to understand that there are normal levels of stress for the person and often that can be um quite common especially in girls at school at school age but that doesn't mean you should just pass it off as kind of being an emotional girl and that doesn't mean that there isn't something wrong necessarily underneath that um and I've also with medical professionals had the questions about um periods and if if I'm just feeling a bit down because I might be is it my time of the month you know is this just something that happens around your period which obviously a man would never get asked that and you cannot put something a chronic low mood and chronic anxiety down to your period and of course people experience very different premenstrual symptoms and lots of people do experience low moods and mood swings but having that every single day isn't quite the same as having that over a period of like a week every month or having that to such a great degree so definitely that relationship between my physical health and my mental health has been um one that's been quite difficult for doctors to maybe disentangle um, okay, so we're going to ask the final question now and kind of leave it on a positive note. So how does your disability make you unique and what have you learned by, by about yourself by having your disability? So uh, there's a number of reasons 
that stopped me from pursuing higher education when I left secondary school. But having, you know, an undiagnosed disability was certainly one of them. So I was finally diagnosed with ADD at around 30 years old. Um, so I had a career before returning to education and coming on the TAP programme. And throughout the career, you know, living, working, socialising without having a really significant neurological disability diagnosed, you know, it was debilitating. There's no other word for it. So actually over the last 10 years of my life, it slowly, slowly, you know, chipped away at my confidence over time. So ironically, being diagnosed with ADD has actually given me a huge sense of confidence. And it's ultimately what pushed me back um, to come back to education. And it gave me a sense of, well, if I survived the last 30 years, you know, imagine what I can do now that I'm diagnosed and receiving proper treatment. So I, I do think, you know, with the right support and the right opportunities, um, I like to look at the disability as a superpower rather than a negative thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel empowered by my disability, if I'm honest. Um, because I was able-bodied for 15 years of my life. So it was only relatively recently that I actually developed this illness. And for some people, they would declare it a curse uh, to have this perspective, but I really see it as a gift. Um, like I feel blessed when I can actually enjoy my good days. And I feel like I've just become so resilient um, and strong after the bad ones and the surgeries. And I think it's these challenges that I've overcome is what makes me unique. Yeah, it's so nice to be able to hear everyone that they've kind of a positive outlook on what would usually be such a horrible condition. And I definitely agree with Johnny. I've definitely got like a new resilience and positivity. So I've been through like so much already and I feel like nothing else that I will have to go through could be much worse. And even if it is worse, I've got through everything the hard times before I can definitely do it again. And it's, it's funny, I, like my mom, when she gets injections or anything, she's hugely endophobia and she might hate me for saying this, but she says she always thinks of me and how I can get through things. And it's really nice to know that I have such a positive influence on other people as well as a positive influence on myself. And I think being kind of a, <laughs> a kind of like a role model for yourself is really nice. And it's a nice kind of skill to have. I would definitely agree with Carla in terms of the resilience I've been able to develop um, since being diagnosed and since going through like multiple periods of um, relapse, but also the good times too. I think it's definitely made me appreciate times where I'm feeling better and days where it's not that difficult to get out of bed. And it's made me use those days more productively and be able to go out and see my friends and actually enjoy it and I've learned how to push myself even when I'm not feeling my best because I know that it's will make me feel better in the end so especially days where I don't want to go out and see someone I might not want to but if I go I know I'll feel better for it so it's definitely made me a stronger person it's also made me a good listener and more empathetic I think being able to use my own experiences to try and help other people and try and um, hopefully offer some kind of advice but just really to be someone who people can rely on and uh, know that I'll be there to support them because I kind of understand how um, life cannot be necessarily very easy. 
Yeah, I just have to echo what Carla and Claudia said about like, I'm very resilient and I'm quite empathetic to other people's situations because of my DCD, because I've overcome a, f- a good few, uh, a, I've come overcome a few challenges. So I understand when people need to overcome stuff themselves. So um, like for me, like I don't really give up easily and I'm constantly striving to better myself. Like there's an element of perfectionism in DCD. And I think this has like benefited me both in education and work and it, it's also allowed me to get involved in the ability co-op this year and um, for people that aren't familiar about the work that we do we're a radical inclusion group that uh, fights for better accessibility for disabled students on campus so i think this just wraps up the podcast now and um, thank you so much for tuning in make sure to check out our social media make sure to check us out on facebook instagram and twitter at ability co-op thank you for listening guys